Along with Pastor David, I welcome you to Rivermont this morning. As you open your Bibles or one of the Pew Bibles to Galatians chapter 4, we'll be looking over verses 4 to 7 as we continue our sermon series, The Order of Salvation, celebrating the beauty of our salvation in Christ. You know, we began this series in Ephesians chapter 1 with the verses in our call to worship, knowing that God chose His people in Christ before the foundation of the world. In love, He predestined us to be adopted as His sons through Jesus Christ, to the praise of the glory of His grace. This is how we began this series. Indeed, the order of our salvation includes includes the effective gospel call, our regeneration where our dead hearts are born again. We respond, respond in repentance and in saving faith. We are justified by faith. That's where we were last week. Today we see that we are adopted as the fathers, sons, and daughters. So this is the reading of God's holy word. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 to 7. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. Let us pray. Our gracious Father, we bow in your presence, knowing that we could not even come into your presence apart from your mercy and your grace to us in the gospel. We praise you that you loved us from before the foundation of the world. And as we come before you with our burdens and our joys, we pray that for this moment you would unburden our hearts to focus upon the things of greatest importance that you have given to us in Christ. So Holy Spirit, come and make known to us the meaning of these great words. Write them upon our hearts. For Jesus' sake, Amen. Well, by way of encouragement in the Spirit of Christ... As we rest in God's salvation, please hear that God desires to give us a deep and abiding assurance that we belong to Him. Why? Well, because of the magnificent work that He has done for you and for me in the gospel of His Son. You know, all the threads of our problems and all the things that fill our daily lives are best understood in the context of our relationship with Christ. Why? Well, because we've been held firmly by God in His gracious, sovereign hand, and He has promised that He will never let us go. For we are His beloved sons and daughters. Now, in Galatians 4 and in the parallel passage of Romans 8, 14 to 17, the abiding assurance that we have in Christ is made crystal clear by virtue of the wonderful name that God has given to call Himself in relation to us. He is Father. 
We also see this by virtue of the wonderful name that God has given to us, that we are able to under ourselves in relationship to him. We are sons and daughters. Now, he doesn't call us his children simply to have terminology by which he can address us. No, he calls us sons and daughters and we call him father because this is the nature of the relationship that he sustains for those who know him. He intends that his saved people who know him to relate to him with trust and in intimacy as our heavenly father. It grows out of our great of his great love for us in Christ. For it is his love. That he has made us his children. Oh, it's the most wonderful thing that God the Father can do for us to call us sons and daughters and for us to know it in the depths of our hearts. His timing is perfect. His plan for your life is wonderful indeed. His love is absolute. For sons and daughters, God reveals his love in these verses. First of all, in His plan, which is in verse 4, the purpose in verse 5, and the privilege in verses 6 to 7. But let's first begin with the plan in becoming sons and daughters. This is in Galatians 4, 4. The plan, we are told, occurs in the fullness of time. Now, to be sure, if you're a history buff, God's providential plan involves a strategic time in human history. The time was right religiously for the Jewish people, for they had cast off their idolatry, which characterized them prior to the Babylonian captivity. They were renewed in their hope for the coming Messiah. The time was right culturally, for Alexander the Great had established the Greek culture in a common language to solidify the world, making it ready for communication of the greatest truth that the world would ever hear. And of course, the time was right politically. As Rome had established her Pax Romana, her Roman peace, opening the door for gospel messengers to travel freely throughout the vast empire. To be sure, God had orchestrated history through His acts of providence in order to send His Son at precisely the right moment in the fullness of time. But oh, there is so much more in this verse, verse 4. For we see that God, the sovereign Lord of the universe, works in history to send forth His Son, His eternal Son from the glories of heaven to the humility of living in humanity. We hear the same truth in our much-loved verse, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus is the Son whom the Father sent into the world and whom all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. This is Colossians 2. He is the Son before whom the angels of God worship. This is Hebrews 1. He is the Son to whom belongs all power, riches, wisdom, might, honor, glory, and blessing. Revelation 5. And there's more though to this plan. For this Son... He was the radiance of God's eternal glory. Has come into this world. He is clothed with humanity. Born of a woman born under the law. 
Here's the simple statement of the incarnation of Jesus Christ with emphasis upon His humanity, born of woman, born under the law. Like any other man, Jesus was responsible to the law of God. He was born under it with responsibility to obey it. Like every man, He had responsibility to obey God's law, yet like no man, He obeyed it perfectly, for He knew no sin. Now, why is all this important? Well, I believe you know most of the answer. He did this. This was so important in the plan of God because we know that salvation belongs to the Lord. Jesus had to be God in order to live a perfect life. And yet he had to be man because only man can substitute for man and die man's death. He had to be God and man, perfectly obedient under the law of God for God to give His sacrifice infinite value to bear your sin and my sin in His own body upon the cross. Oh, what a glorious God that we serve. God had planned the event of the Lord Jesus coming to this earth and living a perfect life as the God-man, dying a perfect death for our salvation at a perfect time in history. But our verses continue with purpose. And the purpose for sons and daughters is simply to receive what only our elder brother Jesus could do and does do for you and for me. It's in verse 5. To redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Now, God the Father sends God the Son to redeem His people. That's a purpose for us to receive. We have heard of redemption so much, though, that sometimes I fear that we may lose the true power of what we are hearing. Yet the Bible clearly teaches our need of redemption, our need for someone to pay the price to set us free from our slavery, our slavery to sin and to fear. The context, we were under the law, but we could not keep the law perfectly for we stood dead, enslaved in our trespasses and sin. So we stood before a holy God, condemned by our own inadequacies. Our own works testify to the fact that we cannot be righteous in ourselves. So Jesus came. He bore our humanity. He bore our iniquity. He died on the cross in our place. Because of that death, God has forgiven us. He has cleansed us. To redeem us, Christ paid the ransom price to set us free from sin and the law of sin and death. Christ paid the ransom price, which was His death upon the cross, to set us free, dear family of God, from sin and from death. Sometimes, though, we struggle with two ideals. Either we can choose to attempt to live our lives in our own strength and power, taking our chances that we can live righteously enough to earn our way to heaven, or... We can accept God's offer of salvation by faith in the finished work of His Son. The problem is, of course, is that the Scripture teaches that unless our righteousness is perfect, 
we have no hope. For if we keep the whole law and stumble in just one point, we become a lawbreaker of all the law. It only takes one rotten egg, you understand, to spoil the whole omelet. It only takes a little sin to make us a sinner. Why? Because God is holy and as the holy God of the universe, any sin is abhorrent to Him. So we must turn to Jesus Christ. The One who bore our guilt upon the cross so that we would be justified and redeemed, declared not guilty. Yet here is where the stunning blessing occurs. Let me explain. In redemption, we dwell in a legal realm. For a slave is legally bound to his master until the ransom price of redemption is paid. And upon the satisfaction of that price, the slave is set free. Redemption is a beautiful picture of our forgiveness and deliverance from our sin. But there is something here that is much more. God could have simply redeemed us, set us free. That would have been infinitely more than we could ever deserve. But He does not stop with redemption. He also, do you see it here, adopts us as His sons and daughters. The Son came that the Father would adopt us. That's another purpose for us to receive. We are reminded by the word adoption, that great truth, that we do not adopt ourselves, nor do we dictate to God the terms of adoption. Adoption comes as a divine act out of the abundance of His mercy and grace and love. Now this word adoption comes from a couple of Greek words, but it simply means that when Christ came, He is able to take us and place us into a family, which is the family of God. You know, there is great dignity in being a child of God. We need to see the dignity of the believer in the doctrine of adoption. Christ came to fulfill His plan for the world and for us. His purpose was for us to receive that redemption and that adoption. And here in our text, we see that we are no longer slaves but sons. And that finally moves us to some pretty incredible Privileges. We see these privileges in verses 6 and 7. And because you are sons, the Word tells us, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. You are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Abba, Father. Now you really have to think of this. This is an incredible, unique, new covenant blessing. And I say that because of this. From the Old Testament, you may wonder how many times that God is referred to as our Father. How many times? From Genesis to Malachi, do you find the description as God, as our Father. We have to look pretty hard. 
There are some 14 references in the Old Testament to God as Father. And in every single instance, it is in reference to the nation of Israel rather than to personal relationship. You see, in the Old Testament, we know God as Yahweh, but it was something of reverence and all God's people didn't even want to say the word. And yet when you step from the Old Covenant and into the New Covenant, you see that Jesus embraces His Heavenly Father and then teaches us to pray, Our Father, which art in heaven. Now this is something else. This is so dear to the Lord that God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Verse 6, now hear that. God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Now please don't miss this. God sent Jesus Christ for your redemption. That you might receive the status of sonship. God sent the Holy Spirit though. That we might have the experience of that sonship. What wonder. It is one thing for God to say, Ron Cox, you are my son. And I know that that is true. It's another thing though. For me to say, yes, dear Father, I know that that is true. I love you. I cry out to you in all of life. Abba, Father. My own heart cries out, God, you love me and I love you. There is grace. There is love that God gives us as we know that we are his sons and daughters. That's privilege. To call Him Abba, Father, and to know that truth in the depths of our hearts. God loves me. He loves you with the Father's love. God's love for you as a Father has tremendous implications and applications. Let's just think of a few of those as we close this morning. First of all, He gives us a Father's care and provision. Now, I know our relationships with our earthly fathers can really distort this truth. But the fact of the matter is, and the Holy Spirit will confirm it over time, that he gives us a pure father's care and provision. Now, some of you may be going through financial concerns, some uncertainty about the future. Some of you may be going through a trial with your health or experiencing sorrow in the loss of a loved one. And yet the beauty of the Scripture is your Heavenly Father knows your needs. You are valuable to Him and He gives good gifts to His children. We can count on Him to give good gifts to us. Sometimes, from a slightly different angle, you may feel unequipped and uncertain with the weight of responsibility upon you. And our Heavenly Father gives us access to Him by prayer. We don't come before Him as our judge or a ruthless king. We come to Him as our Abba Father. 
There is intimacy. Closeness. He delights to hear from us. He delights to help us. And we can be persistent and consistent in expecting Him to answer our prayers in ways that are good for us and which will bring glory to His name. So there's care, provision. But notice also, He's given us the spirit of adoption so that we have direction and wisdom and mercy. You know, as we open the Word, yes, there's some discipline on our part. As we open the Word, the Spirit produces fruit in our lives. We are conformed by the Spirit into a family likeness. Hallelujah. The likeness of Christ, our elder brother. And the Spirit Himself reminds us of His love, encouraging us and leading us to serve Him with joy. Now this is an experience for us as a family, and sometimes it may take years to work it into our being, but that's what the Spirit of Sonship does for us. And yet even when we face difficulties, even when we may face consequences for sins, we will never experience the wrath of God. Jesus has done that for us. Instead, a father, he disciplines us for our good in order to restore us, to lead us away from sin, to lead us away from destructive behaviors. He will lead us into ways of his love and of his blessing. And notice here that even when we approach our heavenly father in repentance, we know that he will not cast us away For we can always find forgiveness before our Heavenly Father. What a tremendous blessing. Notice too though we have intimacy with one another. As brothers and sisters in Christ. That changes the nature of our gathering in worship and in fellowship and in service. We encourage and pray for one another. We put to rest quarrels and disputes. That's the nature of being a brother and sister in Jesus Christ. And think of the implication as we come to the Lord's table. It's a family meal. It's a joyful occasion. It's reminding us of why we are brothers and sisters. We are bound together by the blood of Jesus shed in our place with restored relationship with our Father and with our brothers and sisters. Again, a great blessing. And then finally, I think, as this privilege of calling God Abba Father, we do enjoy eternal intimacy with Him forever. For our destiny is secure. We know that we will be in the presence of our Heavenly Father forever. With hope we look up. We endure We persevere. We do not lose heart in the face of trials, in the face of difficulties. We know that we have an inheritance that will never uh, perish, spoil, or fade. We will be made perfect. We receive the fulfillment of all the promises of God. We will experience joy, full joy, abundant joy forever in our Father's presence. Those are astounding blessings that come to us as the dearly loved children of God. 
as the Apostle John puts it, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And that is who we are. May the Lord bless us with the abiding assurance of His love for us in Christ. By virtue of the wonderful name that God has given to us that we are able to understand ourselves and relationship to Him. We are sons and daughters. And by virtue of the wonderful name that God has chosen to call Himself in relationship to us, that by the power of the Spirit, we may cry out, Abba, Father, Amen. Let us pray. Abba, Father, we praise You for all Your mercies to us. We praise You for this wonderful truth that You are our Father in Heaven through Jesus Christ, Your Son. That we are Your sons and daughters. Father, we give You thanks for Your love even though we were not deserving in ourselves. We know that You are faithful and You are good. Draw us, cause us to abide in the depths of Your love. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.